I, I work with a lot of guys and uh, have the privilege and honor to have friendships with, with some great men of God, but he was one of the first guys to call me right after the, the big spike in COVID and all that uh, that took place, and then I, he brought me back last year. He was, he was like the first, well, maybe the second guy to just say, you know what, we're going. We're going to go for this, and we did it outside, if y'all remember it out there in the, in the pasture, and that's a great place to have an event, by the way. I could just picture, man, people sitting all over the, the ground there waiting to hear the gospel. And uh, so, Brother Philip, you are an awesome brother. We sat last night and talked about things that really don't matter. Uh, but just to share in, uh, in, in good fellowship is good, and I'm grateful for you, brother. I want to give you a passage of Scripture. This is not where we're at. I just, I just feel led and compelled lately to start here, and I'm going to share a couple thoughts, and then we're going to dive into Matthew 16 is where we're landing. This is out of John chapter 6. Verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I want to set the tone right up front and help you understand how little you pray or how little you, you participate in salvation itself. It starts with God. It always starts with God. Here's the struggle. And as an evangelist, I, I hear this all the time. I sense it all the time. I'm always, I'm, I'm traveling and preaching. Matter of fact, I'm in, this is the last event. Uh, I'm preaching at my home church next week. This is the last uh, travel event that I'm having for two weeks. I get two weeks off. Uh, but it's been Saturday to Thursday, Saturday to Thursday, Saturday to Thursday, Friday and Saturday, uh, or late Thursday afternoon, all day Friday, and then Saturday morning have been my family time and, and really my time to reorient as to who I am and what I'm doing in this world other than preaching. And, and, and in that process, I, 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 I preach a lot and I, I speak to people afterwards a lot and, and, and I'll hear testimony. People say, you know, I thought I was saved. I thought I'd given my life to Christ. And, and when they start explaining the process, it, it always begins with them. And I, and, 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 but, but it's changed. And in that moment, they've truly given their life to Christ because they recognize it starts with God. And there's a breaking down that has to take place, and we're going to look at that today. My burden is for the church. Many, many levels of burden. But the biggest burden I have is for the lostness within the church. Good people who have come into church and assimilated their good morals and their good values into a body of believers, followers of Jesus. And it's easy to go from good moralities and good virtue and good and 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 and, and blend in with those who are born again. But the quickening of the spirit and the awakening of the spirit is real, and it happens all the time. And the struggle that you will face. If you're in that position, is what will people think about me? I've been here for so long. I've, I, this past week, we had a, a lady who was 62 years old who had been in the church. This is a church that had given themselves away to another church, and she had been there for a long, long time. She was in the original church. And, and, and she sat there and wrestled. For three nights, she came to the altar. And on the last night, she finally gave her life to Christ. I, I, obviously, I don't know what's going on in people's hearts, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not here to, to make the judgment of what God is doing in your life. But I watched that woman struggle, and at the end of it, when we talked, 
she would say to me, and this is the poison that Satan loves, she said to me, God would speak to me in services just like the ones that he spoke to me every night this week, and I would say, God, I'll, I, I will deal with this later. Lord, I will deal with this later. Now, stop and think of the futility of that statement. Lord, I will get to you when I'm ready. Who's Lord in that conversation? But yet it happens all the time. And our fears of what people may think messes us up. Let me just give you a thought, and this is a not a necessarily true thought, but it is truth in that it's happening. How do you think church is in First Baptist Kabul today? Do you think the people there are worried about what man thinks about them? No. And yet we struggle. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a church that treated God and sin and the spiritual things in this world as detailed as they've treated COVID? Can you imagine a church that, that stayed away from sin the way they've tried to stay away from COVID? Can you imagine wearing a spiritual math mask that wasn't so much concerned about what came in, but what came out of our mouths? Gloves, and it, not so much worried about what we get on us, what germs, but what things we touch that we ought not be touching. It's a dangerous place we live and a dangerous time we live. It's transitioning quickly. And we need revival. We need to ask ourselves the question. Although we'll acknowledge the need of revival, do we want revival? I quote it often. You've probably heard me quote. I've been here enough that you should have already heard this. Leonard Ravenhill, my, one of my heroes, makes a statement, as long as we are content to live without revival, we will. So I'm praying a holy discontentment on this church will settle in, that I no longer can be content to live without a revival, without God moving in and taking over, having his way, not my way. So today we're going to look at the difference. The title messages, and I don't do titles. I'm the worst creative human being alive. My wife is my creative side. She bought me a new coat this week. I'm not going to tell you why, but she bought me a new coat. It cost $4. That's probably one of the reasons she bought it. But she's watching, and I'm sure she's right now saying, just move on, Steve. So I will, babe. The difference between a believer and a follower Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to set the context for you. So Jesus is, is teaching his disciples. They're, they're following him. They're, they're walking with him. They're experiencing him daily. They've not figured it out yet. As a matter of fact, if you've not figured this out, they hadn't figured it out even after Jesus had come out of the grave. They still struggled. Their mindset is that the Messiah is coming back to restore their kingdom. Let me emphasize their kingdom. They are nationalist. But this just set in. Make Israel great again. Nationalist. 
That may hurt. It may make you angry, but it's real. That's where they were. And they were so far off. So far off. We just sang the song. We just read the scripture in Revelation of what God is going to do to the nations. This country will never be for Jesus. Go all the way back to the beginning and we want to make it that way. This country will never be for Jesus because countries can't be for Jesus. People can. Jesus did not die on the cross for a country, nor did he die on the cross for a song. He died for souls of men. And we need to get back to that. As a church, we need to focus back on the souls of men and stop trying to win the cultural wars all the time. Because that's not the, that's not the way Jesus told us to do it. Now think back to the Acts of Acts chapter 2 where the gospel was proclaimed by Peter. I'm going to go ahead and move this back because I'm going to be walking. Four shots of espresso this morning is how I started my day. So i got to work this off for the second crowd. Think back to Acts chapter 2 when Peter stands and proclaims the gospel in Jerusalem. Did it change the culture? Yes. Why? Because men's lives and women's lives and children's lives were changed. What happened next? Persecution by those who had power and authority. In other words, that, that nation to this day rejects that Jesus Christ is Lord. They were there. It was there. Not they were there. It was there that it happened. And that nation is not a Christian nation. Why? Because Jesus did not die for a nation. He died for the souls of men. So church, we need to understand what our battles are and where they're to be fought. The first battle is within our own soul. We like comfort. We love comfort. Brother, I was listening to you speak. I go to Nicaragua a lot. We were talking about this last night. I spent a lot of time in Nicaragua. And, and, and we have no idea. I mean, listen, a businessman, the business mind, I'm, I'm sitting there going, the kids can't go to school. They need computers. They need, oh, Wi-Fi. Uh, Good electricity. I don't know if your electricity does what theirs does, but their electricity goes up and up. It ruins computers. It blows them up. Wi-Fi? We planted a church in a sugar cane field. There's no Wi-Fi there. So in, a, in my American business mind, I'm sitting there thinking, man, we got money in our account. We could just buy some computers for these kids, and we could just solve all the problems. Because that's what we do in America. We don't ever create problems. We just solve them, right? And this stuff's real. I remember the first time I went to Nicaragua, and I literally had the thought, Bill Gates' checking account can't fix this. You know why? Because money's not the issue. It is an issue, but it's not the issue. The heart of man is the issue. Matthew chapter 16, the context, these guys are walking with Jesus, they're learning, 
they're observing, they're witnessing some great power that Jesus is showing. This is now, verse 13, now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Probably the greatest question in the Bible. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, and blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in, who is in heaven. I just read you the verse, John chapter 6, verse 44. And I tell you, Peter, Petros, little, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was a Christ. So get the picture. He sent them out into Caesarea Philippi. It's up on the northeastern part of Galilee, and it's, it's, it's north, uh, pretty far away from Jerusalem, the religious center. So the people are out there, they're, 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 the disciples are talking to the people, and, 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 and they're, they're talking about Jesus, and, and, and there's, he, he gets the highest rating, I guess, the, 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 most, the most prestigious names are given. John the Baptist, he, he was a very spiritual man, very highly regarded in, in the world of, of just being truthful. Multitudes flocked to him in the wilderness to be baptized. Elijah, great prophet, who displayed extraordinary faith. But their minds were limited to humanity. They could not comprehend that God could become man. And to this day, it's the stumbling block for the nation of Israel in Judaism. Then Jesus turns the question on them. Who do you say that I am? These guys have been following him. They've seen him turn water into wine. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen him heal people not even being in their presence. They've seen him walk on water. You're the Christ. And the proclamation is true. Jesus, Jesus makes the statement. He says, Peter, gold star, right answer. Dude, you're awesome. Even though that's not your answer, that's my father's answer. You heard it and you believe it. Then he makes the statement. Upon you, Peter, or as Protestants believe, upon your confession, Peter. That's who we are. We're Protestant, by the way. Just checking. Yeah. Why'd I look at the cross to see if Jesus was still on the cross? That's why I looked. That tells me where I'm at. If he's still on the cross, I'd need to start doing this stuff. And, and I'm not making fun. I was raised that way. I was raised that way. So understand, I'm not making fun. Just checking where I'm at. But in the reality, we need to understand, it's not upon the man that Jesus is going to build his church, but 
upon the obedience of the man who's going to profess Jesus Christ, who's ultimately going to stand up and preach the gospel under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and the church will be birthed. So there's a lot there to be unpacked. But it's more about the confession, the profession of Jesus Christ being the Lord. That's where the church, that is what the church is built on, is that we come together as a holy assembly, separated apart from the world, key thought, believing that Jesus Christ died on a cross for our sins. They're not there yet. They're following him. They're they're watching, but they're not there yet. And Jesus makes this proclamation about the church that the gates of hell would not prevail against them. So thus I say this. Those who are in Kabul today, they live closer to this promise than we ever thought about living. That no matter what happens, Satan will not win. And that their job is to assail the gates of hell. Not to hide in fear. Not to run. But to assail. Now I'm not going to make any jokes about Tennessee football. Because I don't think I have to. I'm a Kentucky fan, so be honest. I don't have a lot to brag about when it comes to football. Matter of fact, last year I don't have anything to brag about when it comes to basketball. We had more victories in football than we had in basketball last year, I think. It was close, if not. So when I'm making fun, I just know it's because I get made fun of all the time. Part of the game. In our school, when, when you win seven football games, you get a raise. At your school, you get fired. truth. But I think of the game, and I think about the job of getting the the ball across the goal line. That's what I did when I played. My job was to get the ball across the goal line, no matter who tried to stop me, and I took it very seriously. It wasn't good for you to be the guy standing between me and the goal line. That's the way I wanted to play. We should have that attitude in the church, that our job is no matter what tries to stop us, we continue to go forth with the gospel. Now, I believe these guys were ready in, 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 in heart and in passion because they'd already forsaken their families. They'd already, they'd already left everything of any value. Now they're following Jesus and they're learning and they're understanding. It's a great picture of being a Christian that you're continually growing and you're continually having new revelation and God is showing you more and giving you boldness. But this last verse bothers the evangelist. And he says, he strictly charged them to tell no one that he was the Christ. I don't understand that. That's contrary to my thought. But here's the reason. There's a difference between being a believer and a follower. Verse 22, or 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer 
many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day raised again, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, far be it from you. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter's going from the teacher's pet to go into the principal's office. Get behind me, Satan. Why? Because the cross. You see, for believers, they we know as a believer, you're in this room and you're a believer. You have answers. You can give, you can quote scripture. You, you can talk about the day you walked the aisle and the day you got baptized. You have answers. But the stumbling block is the cross. And what Peter didn't want to hear was that his hero had to die. Regardless of the reason why. And Peter didn't understand that either. But he's saying, dude, no way are you going to a cross. And remember, it doesn't get any better for Peter. Remember, he cut the ear off. He fought this all the way to the end. Then he denied. I mean, Peter's struggling. He, he's, he's gone from the White House to the outhouse. And he's struggling now. He's back on the struggle bus. Why? Because we don't want to deal with our sin. So when I quote to you the verse out of Micah, where God says, for Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Anybody want to volunteer? What's the first question that comes to your mind when you hear that verse? I'll go ahead and speak for you. Why in the world would God hate Esau? Wrong question. Why in the world would God love Jacob? You see, our propensity is to think we deserve God's love. Man, God should love me, man, come on. I'm pretty cool. I mean, I let my 23-year-old daughter tell me how to dress. I wouldn't do this. I, I, I want to be hip, so I listen. Why wouldn't God love me? Man, I mean, come on, I'm a great dude. That's how we think. We don't think we should be despised. We, we don't think we should be disciplined. We don't, we, man, we're good people. We're better than them. Come on. What Peter didn't understand is the only way God could love us was to cover our sin. And he chose that before we were ever born. He demonstrated it on the cross, but he made the choice before we were even here. His choice. 
But there was a covering. There was something that took care of our sin, and Peter didn't want to deal with that. Peter, Peter just wanted to be excused from that. So many people in the church, they want to replace the cross with their morality because you're in control of your morality. We don't want to think about the fact that the love of my sin, the pursuit of my sin, the passion that I have for my sin is what put Jesus on the cross. We're broken. We have to admit this. You see, the cross is a stumbling block. Look, look at what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, which is the gospel. To save those who believe, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul's trying to say, until we understand, it's not us that pleases God. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews said, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. Faith in what? That Christ did it all. Not Christ got me going, Christ got me started. No, he did it all. I, I, I shudder sometimes when I hear preachers say that I want to, I can't wait to stand before the Lord Jesus and hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Not that it's not going to happen, but the thought that because I've lived some kind of special life, Jesus is going to look at me and say, oh, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The only well done about my servanthood is the fact that I'm covered in the blood of Jesus and his righteousness. I, I, I'm not going to be rewarded for my self-righteousness. And there's a whole different theological trail to go down there, but understand it always starts with God. On our best day, it started with God. On your worst day, it started with God. He's there, and he's covering you. And the only righteousness that will ever please him and that will ever be rewarded is his righteousness in you. painful to listen to this sometimes. I, I, I'm up here struggling right now myself. Because I like to have this good thoughts about myself. He continues. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? That's a great question. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in, in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who 
will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his wisdom. There's a lot of people just lose their minds right there. You keep reading the next chapter. What he's talking about is, is Peter, James, and John are going to see him in his glory in the Mount of Transfiguration. But what he says leading up to that is the key. It's the key to the kingdom. If any man come after me, in other words, if anybody's following me, he must deny himself. The hardest thing in humanity you'll ever do is to get to that place, why in the world would God love me? And really, if you're just honest with yourself about your choices daily, it's not as hard as we make it, but we, we tend to offset our poor choices with someone else's poorer choices. And therefore, we measure ourselves against man. I'm not as bad as that dude. I don't do these things, whatever the list is. But that's not what you're going to be judged upon. It's what I do, who I, my propensity. And we all have different propensities. That's a big word. I just like using it. It makes me sound smart. We all have our own pursuits. I mean, I, I, I was at a park yesterday. Shared this with the pastor. My wife came over and whispered. It's an awesome park, by the way. It's unbelievable. It's in Waynesville. If you ever go to Waynesville, there's a park there. Go find it. It's awesome. You'll know when you find it. But there was a little girl over here playing on the musical chimes that they have there. And she was talking to an even younger, or at least what appeared to be even younger boy. She could not have been 10. And she was talking about her identity. how she wanted to be viewed. Real easy to step back and say, wow. Wow. What kind of parents does she have? Glad I'm not like her. Glad I'm not like them. But then I think about how my kids might want to identify themselves in the other direction because of their daddy, and put a label on themselves without ever being changed by the gospel. If that were to happen, and I pray it hasn't and it won't, his destination, her destination is the same as her destination. Separated from Christ. Even though her thoughts and her directions and, and whatever the identity she's trying to convince everybody that she has, we would say is an abomination. The same would be said of someone who sits among the church and hears the gospel weekly and the Spirit of God draws them and they say, I'll, I'll do that later, Lord. They're both without Christ. Yet the church would deem one separately than they would deem this one. Because they're here. They're attending. Maybe they're writing checks. They're tithing. Maybe they're singing songs. They're worshiping. And any lost person can walk in the door and do those things in the church every Sunday. And they do. Thinking that those things are going to make them holy. Denying the power of the Holy Spirit. 
but yet having the appearance of a follower. 2 Timothy. It happens all the time. Our unwillingness to deny ourselves. Then he says, take up our cross. The picture there literally is raising the cross up high. It's like carrying around a big cross. Now, I'm not advocating, and I'm not picking on Catholics, by the way, but I just, this is the only picture that comes to my mind. I'm not advocating walking around with a big golden cross like you see the Pope do or people do in the church. I'm talking about your life being this big cross. I'm not talking about just, you know, share the gospel and use words if necessary. That's, that's not true. It's unbiblical. The gospel must be spoken, but it also must be lived. And your message ought to match your life message. The verbal message and the life message should match. There should be an aroma about us of love and kindness, not division, not hatred, not wagging our fingers. We're going to wag a finger. I don't know if you can even do this, but this way. That's what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. He shares a great illustration there. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Think of it. You, you win something. You, you get something. It's a huge amount of money. And you're like, man, I've never even thought I could have this kind of money. It wouldn't be enough to buy your salvation if you had it all. Jeff Bezos cannot buy his way into heaven. And he can't order it on Amazon. Neither can you. It's full surrender. It's a waving of the white flag. Regardless of how righteous you think you are, it's not enough. The only righteousness that will be accepted is your full surrender to the righteousness of Christ. Being born again. The scriptures describe it this way. If, if, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Paul said it this way in, in Romans. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will come dwell in your body and give life, give you life. Romans 8.11. Get, get that picture. Jesus is in the tomb, laying on a slab, decaying, totally decimated three days earlier. Skin, flesh ripped off, nail holes, crown of thorns, scars in his head, three days dead. It's not pretty. And the Spirit of God walks into that tomb. Jesus. And up from the grave, he arose. September 21st, 1991. 24-year-old drunk, on his face, begging God to forgive him. Because the Spirit of God has rested upon him. 
and brought his, 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 the understanding to him of what he's done to Jesus. And instead of saying, oh, I'll deal with that later, I'm not in the mood right now, I'm not, I'm not there, the 24-year-old does it. He deals with it. The Holy Spirit walks into the room. Steve, and up from the grave I arose. There was no righteousness, I promise. There was nothing of any spiritual value to offer Jesus but full surrender to what he did for me. And in order to do that, I had to confront my sin and my sinfulness. That I'm not the rock star that I think I am. And I'm not put together well enough to please God on my own. But as long as I'm content to live that way, I will. But I ran out of contentment that day. And I bowed my heart to Jesus. And something happened. Romans 8, 11 came true. Something from out of this world, unworldly, invaded me. It was not there, and then he was there. The Holy Spirit. And I've never been the same. He's never left me nor forsook me. I've given him ample opportunities to get off the train. But because of his love and the fact that he paid for all of my sins, he hasn't and he won't. How do I know he's there? Because the spirit bears witness to my spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 16. You know when that happens? When I see something that my eyes are attracted to and I make a step towards it and there he is. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Oh, there's sometimes I take the second step. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Sometimes I just run the stop sign. And immediately, there's a holy discomfort. You know what I'm saying? See, there's some. There's some in the room right now. You, you man, I, I'm not sinning. I'm on the edge. Man, I'm not sinning. <laughs> God will never lead you there, ever. You did not get there because the Spirit of God led you there. As a matter of fact, you're probably there because there is no Spirit of God within you. The only strength you have is your own righteousness and your own effort to be moral and to make good choices. Can I tell you, hell will be full of moral people. Get that in your skull. Trust me, it's going to happen. We see it in Matthew 7. They just bring their spiritual resume to Jesus. Look at all I've done. Man, do you not see all the sermons I've preached? Do you not see all the mission trips I went on? I was spiritual enough. I was, I was righteous and moral enough to cast a demon out. Depart from me, for I never knew you. You walk past every invitation I gave you, confident in yourself, 
your ability to please me. Depart from me. As long as we're content to live without God, we will. Praying for a holy discontentment. What the disciples learned or heard and would continue to learn, it's, it's all on Jesus. It's all on him. And he will give us great victory. You will never be the same. You won't be improved. You'll be changed. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit in this place. You and only you can change lives. I pray right now for those who are in this room that have placed their confidence in their morality. And God, your spirit is drawing them right now. Pray that you give them the strength to humble themselves and to receive you. Be changed by you. To be made new. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's one in this room that right now the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and saying to you, today, today is the day of your salvation. Surrender. Then right now where you're at, right there, by faith, Cry out to Jesus in your heart and confront your sinful nature and your sinful choices. You say, Lord, I know my sin right now is ever before me. I know. I know that I put you on the cross. My choices my passions, the things that I've loved are what crucified you. And I'm asking you now to forgive me. I believe you died on a cross for all of my sins and to give life to my dead, sinful nature. So, Lord, I repent I repent of my ways. I repent of my choices. All the things that I've loved that never have ever completely satisfied me, I exchange them for you because you're the only one who can satisfy me. Thank you for dying for me. With every head bowed, every eye closed, your moment, if you prayed that just now because the Spirit of God is dealing with you, would you just raise your hand right before a holy God who knows everything that's going on? There's no sin hidden in this room. There's no sin hidden anywhere. 
He knows it all. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Before a holy, righteous God. Honest before a holy God. I want the righteousness of Christ. Just hold that hand up. Those of you that raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to look right up here at me. Did you mean it? Before a holy God, did you mean it? Would you just stand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's looking. Brother, I'm going to ask you to come right down here. Come on. I get a counselor. Just tell them. Just be honest before a holy God. Anybody else? Anybody else? God's dealing with you. Anybody else? There are people in this room who would call themselves Christian, and because you believe that and you have that faith, you've made things right with God at the cross, but you've drifted. You've been distracted. The things of this world have moved you away from the cross. Can I tell you, we've quoted the verse already. Romans chapter 5, you're justified by your faith and you have access to the Father. John said it this way, if, you are, if you'll confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you. So as a follower of Jesus, and you're in this room right now, and you would say, honest before God, I am not the follower I once was. And I know that. I have drifted away. But I want to come back. Can I tell you this? The Father has been watching every day for you to return. You take the step towards him. He's running to you. And he's going to restore you. And he's going to celebrate you. You're his child and you're coming home. He's long for this day. Would you come? Heads bowed, eyes closed, if that's you. Say, you know, I need to come home. I've strayed. I've drifted. Just honest before a holy God, just lift your hand. That's me, Steve. I've got to be honest. I'm not following Jesus like I have in the past, and I want that to change. I'm no longer content to live at this distance from God. He's brought discomfort to my soul, and I want to come home. Just lift your hand, honest before a holy God. Praise God. Praise God. Hold it up. Don't be ashamed. Hold it up. It's a great moment. It's a great moment. Holy, holy, holy is God. He wants to wash you clean and restore the joy of your salvation. I'm going to ask those, as we begin to worship, we're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing. Don't stand there in resistance to the Holy Spirit and try to praise Jesus. It won't work. But come. Come to this altar.
Seek counsel and be restored. Let's stand and let's worship.